Dirtos, a stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. Stephen? Yep. I'm consulting our mailbag. Huh. Did, did you know we have a mailbag? I, you know what I do. And if other folks don't know, you can uh, reach us at journos at journos.net. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where it lives. Well, we actually got not one, but two letters. Oh, right. Now, there's an asterisk there, which will become clear in a minute. But okay. let me get into it. What had happened was we have a listener been listening from nearly the beginning named mm. kevin yep likes the show hey kevin he hi kevin and he got access to the new bing joint the uh bing the, ai that the, does all kinds of stuff for yeah, you. yeah it's powered by chat gpt but it's like crazy it's crazy and so forward-thinking listener that he is he asked it to write a mean letter to journos oh, yeah that's not very nice and then he sent it to us. And anyway, you get what you pay for. So a letter's a letter. I figure let's go ahead and read it. Want to? Yeah. Here it comes. Okay. Dear Journos, I'm writing to express my disappointment and frustration with your podcast. I have listened to several episodes, which has he? Who knows? Mm. And found them to be lacking in credibility and professionalism. Me, I like to think that I'm the one that lacks professionalism and you lack credibility. He doesn't specify. She. Pretty sure Bing, they they figured out, was a female. Yeah, Sydney, that's right. Go on. One of the main problems I have with your podcast is that you don't cite any credible sources for your facts and arguments. You often make sweeping statements and assumptions without providing any evidence or references to back them up. For example, in your episode on Don't Look Up Movie... Which I believe was from late 2021. We watched it. It was one of our Christmas dates. You and me, we went and saw it in the theater. It was one of our Christmas dates. We did go and see it live in the theater. It was, it was right, right at the tail. It was 20, December 2021. It felt it was, a little risque. Yeah. I mean, so it was a real act of bravery for us anyway to go out and, and go see a movie. That was the first movie I think I'd seen in the theater since mm-hmm. the pandemic. Anyway. You claim that asteroid mining is a lucrative and feasible industry without mentioning any scientific or economic studies that support this claim. Which... We didn't say it was feasible at all. Look at us. We're, we're defending ourselves to a, to a robot that doesn't a, care. You Damn also robot. dismiss the movie's message as unrealistic and alarmist without acknowledging the real and urgent threat of climate change. This kind of sloppy and biased journalism undermines your credibility and authority as news podcasters. It also misleads and misinforms your listeners who may not have the time or resources to verify your claims. You owe it to yourself and your audience to do better research and fact-checking before you publish your episodes. Yikes. Stephen, would you care to respond to any of that? I mean, I just got to tell this robot that if she thinks that this podcast is unbiased and under-researched, then she's in for a pretty rude awakening when she starts hearing the rest of the podcast in the space. You know what I mean? Yeah. Come on. I think we source ourselves pretty well, and I think uh, we didn't say anything about it being lucrative or feasible. In fact, we questioned whether that was the case. Uh, It is worth noting that Kevin asked it to write another letter to Journos, and its response was, I'm sorry, but I prefer not to write another letter to Journos podcast. I think one letter is enough to express your criticism. More letters might be seen as spamming or trolling and could damage your reputation and credibility. I suggest you wait for their response and see if they're willing to engage in a civil and constructive dialogue with you. So there you go, Steve. Hey, you can't argue with that. No. 
So it's interesting, Stephen, that the AI chooses an episode from 2021, because the reason that we're here today is actually to dust off an episode from 2021. Remember when we were called something else? We were called the Instant News News Hour in our early, early days? Oh, how could I forget, Brandon? Right now I have this high school senior year montage yeah. of it all playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You kind of look back at the photos and you're like, I can't believe I let my hair grow that long. Yeah. It was yeah. a weird, 2021, that was a weird year, man. Yeah. It was when we were trying to figure out what to do during the pandemic. And we said, nobody's starting a podcast. And then we started a podcast with a whole other concept. Hell and yeah. we called it Instant News News Hour. The Instant News News Hour with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. I mean, you yeah. know what? If we didn't do that, then we wouldn't be here. That's true. It evolved into what we are today. Mm-hmm. Not unlike certain pesky little critters that naturally belong in the woods have evolved to survive and thrive in urban areas. Per our latest episode in which we're talking about the way that we manipulate nature to service in all these ways and the way animals change in response to our little manipulations, it reminded us of this episode we had done in September 2021 in which we had been talking about raccoons and raccoon intelligence. And at the time we were doing kind of a fact check episode where we had said some crazy stuff about raccoon traps and things. And then to figure out if we were talking out of our asses or not, I called a raccoon expert and asked her all of these questions. So we're going to play that interview now because it's totally relevant to the episode we just did and to this idea of, like AI, the way we're engineering different kinds of intelligence. So here's me talking to Suzanne McDonald. She's a professor of psychology and biology at York University in Toronto. And again, this is a conversation from 2021. And Stephen, if you listen closely, you'll hear the technology, how different it was back then. This strange thing, the telephone. We've come a long way, baby. Hello? Hi, Suzanne? Yes. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very well. Thank you. And thank you for... uh, agreeing to answer some questions for us. My partner and I got into what turned out to be uh, a fairly contentious debate and then one that um, ended with us both being confused because we didn't know a whole lot about, about animal behavior. So we said, let's go to the source. Um, and, it, and it centered around animal behavior in a particular way, which is the idea of greed and of whether animals can can take more than they quote need and so um but it, it started with something that steven said and this is really where our argument began which is he thought that raccoons are scary and i said i don't think they're scary so let's just start there are raccoons scary <laughs> no I, I don't think raccoons are scary in the least what did steven think was scary about them well he said if they get cornered then they'll hiss and chatter at you but then i thought well that's what all animals do when you corner them well, that's what I do if you corner me. So, of course, I guess we're all scary. But, yeah, if you if they're threatened, they will try to protect themselves. But they're not going to be after you <laughs> when you're walking down the street. So you don't have to, like, be afraid in a dark alley. The raccoon gangs are going to come after you. So, I no, I don't think raccoons are scary at all. 
I would. There you go. I I think bears are pretty scary. If you corner them, they might kill you. But I don't think a raccoon is going to kill you. I call that issue settled. Great. Um, <laughs> next point. Uh, we shifted to squirrels for a period of time and around the idea of squirrels taking more than they need. And, you know, we said, well, people can hoard and people can uh, exhaust resources. Can a squirrel take too many nuts? Well, I, I think it depends on what your definition of too many is. So there are some species that have evolved to uh, create caches of food that get them through the winter. And squirrels are one of those. So they're not taking more than they need. They're taking what they need at a later date, which is pretty darn amazing, actually. So if you think of what's involved in that, you have to not eat everything you take because you need to save some for another time when you won't have enough. So wolves do this too. They'll cache food. Lots of birds do this. So they cache food and then they remember where the caches work, which is also amazing. So unlike humans who will just deplete resources because they can, um, yeah, uh, animals don't do that. They they do it for a particular reason. Yeah, so that was the follow-up question was, we know people do that, but are animals able to exploit an ecosystem beyond its carrying capacity? In other words, can an animal or a plant or something um, destroy an ecosystem because it is exploiting it too much? No, the only species that were, well, there are only two real species that are ecosystem builders or destroyers, and those are beavers. And they, you know, they dam up a river to create their own ecosystem uh, and elephants. And so elephants will knock over trees and, you know, take the good bits and the trees will be destroyed, um, which normally is not an issue. But it is an issue now because those places are now fenced and elephants are contained and they can't just move on and then come back in another season when the trees have regrown. So um, all of those behaviors that we now see that are problematic are entirely a result of human inter interference in it. So, you know, naturally, if there were no humans on the planet, no, no other species would be destroying ecosystems. And is that hold true for like the pythons that are dumped in the Everglades and the goldfish that are dumped our, in the Great Lakes? It's Lake? all because of us. Yep. It's all our problem. So the animal that's ruining the environment is not surprisingly the human animal. Absolutely, yes. And those, you know, those other animals are just doing what they should do in their normal environment, right? And just because you put them in another environment, they're doing what they were programmed to do, and then we blame them for it. So, yeah, we're the worst, honestly. <laughs> so, would you say that animals can have leftovers? Frankly, usually most wild animals are on the verge of starvation all the time, so they would not have leftovers because other member on conspecifics, that means just means other members of their species, would be likely to take that food. The the reason raccoons come to mind when you talk about this is because raccoons in the city are not on the edge of starvation. They are on the edge of diabetes um, because they are so overfed with high fat and high sugar diets that they get from our garbage. So they are an exception. But again, that's a human problem, not a raccoon problem. And a wild raccoon in a non-urban area is just about starving all the time. Yeah, that um, it's interesting that you bring up the urban raccoon thing. That's what I wanted to talk about next, because you're in Toronto, which is apparently the world capital for urban mm -hmm. raccoons. Tell me about your research and what you're doing there at York. Uh, well, I mean, I, I work with um, 
dozen species. So I work in Africa with vervet monkeys and hyenas and elephants. And um, I work at, with orangutans and other primates at zoos. And I work polar bears and I work, you know, I work tons of these, but the only one anyone ever wants to talk to me about is raccoons because they find them interesting. Um, and I find them interesting too, which is why I study them. So I've done some work looking at their urban territories and I've done some work looking at how the Toronto population views them. And uh, uh, probably most interesting for you, I'm looking at uh, whether urban and rural raccoons are kind of differentiating into two different species where urban raccoons are smarter or whatever whether word you want to use than their rural counterparts. And that is a very long study that has taken me on many twists and turns. And the first part is done. So I've compared urban and rural animals and their ability to open, to, to solve problems. And the urban ones are try way more strategies, are way more persistent and much more successful. The rural ones, it's like they're not even the same species. But now I have to find infant raccoons that were born in either urban or rural areas and compare them on the same task because I don't know whether the urban ones are smarter just because they're street smart or whether they actually are born that way. Did you end up studying raccoons because you lived there and they just happened to be a critter that was around and interesting or was that something that you had thought out anyway and it just happened that you lived in a place that was very um, raccoon positive? It's kind of a happy accident. It was kind of about 10 years ago before people started really thinking of the raccoons and I, I have to take a little bit of the blame for calling Toronto the raccoon capital of the world because I was the one who said that. <laughs> And that was uh -huh. really awful, obviously, and I was like, well, I really just made that up, and I, I really don't know if we are, but we do seem to have a lot. Um, you know, I work with, as I mentioned, I work in Africa, and I work with a lot of primate species, and to me, raccoons have always filled the niche of the monkey in North America. We have no monkeys in North America, and to me, they seem to fill that same ecological niche, and it seems like a kind of an interesting question to say, have they you know, has convergent evolution resulted in raccoons kind of having some of the same cognitive abilities as monkeys. Again, spoiler alert, no, but um, they do, they are smart in their own way and they do their own thing. And so that's why I started um, being interested in raccoons. And so is it possible to at least hypothesize that over time in the future, at some point in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, as cities become smarter and as raccoons have lived here more, you'll have a type of raccoon that is just measurably more intelligent than the ones from today that, you know, they're doing things or interacting with their environment in ways that we couldn't even predict now. Um, I'm not sure about that, but I do think that they have already diverged. It's just, it's very difficult to show that um, in a statistically significant manner, but I, I, I am betting, you know, I'm betting my time and my energy on this, that uh, urban raccoons are, measurably different than their wild counterparts and they are turning into a different maybe not species but certainly subspecies they actually are starting to look different uh, they their size is different they I, I their social behavior is different they do things in urban areas they don't do in rural areas and so it would be pretty unusual if they weren't actually if their brains weren't changing i mean it makes perfect sense to me so i'm just hoping that you know i can somehow at some point show that that is a thing. But um, yeah, I do think that the urban animals are, we're creating our own little, little urban raccoons.
know, Stephen and I had talked about how at some point you can imagine a bunch of raccoons getting together and starting some kind of startup company. Like they'll be very smart. <laughs> um, it would be a terrible you, company. It would be. It would not be great. It would entirely be about trying to steal Twinkies and then cover them with peanut butter or something like that. Um, something like that. And they couldn't get along and they'd end up biting each other and there would be a huge fight. That's, that's what would happen. Raccoons do not cooperate in any way. Well, that's not far off from Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, but do animals or raccoons specifically display anything like entrepreneurial behavior? So if you are a raccoon, you are in it for yourself. I don't know if you've ever watched a mother raccoon with her babies, but she is a giant bitch to them. There, she's like, get away. This is my food. You go find your own. So even a mother with her, with her kids is not what you would call loving and giving. So no. So I you know um, in Guardians of the Galaxy, Rocket Raccoon, it's kind of like that, you know, where they, I, I think there's one line in one of the shows anywhere, one of the movies where they say, you know, you just, if we were in trouble, you'd just leave us. And he's like, yeah. And yeah, that's, of course, like, well, they wouldn't even look back. Of course not. So no, they, there's none of that. <laughs> they don't share food. Uh, they don't do none of that. How, how human they are in so many ways. But great. Well, thank you, Suzanne. This has been enlightening and fun and somewhat disturbing to find out that <laughs> raccoons are bigger jerks than, than they yeah, come but you off still on don't television. Have to be afraid of them. You just have to go, oh, you're a jerk. That's fine. But you don't have to be afraid of them. So you tell your partner, he does not have to be afraid of raccoons. Just give them a wide berth and everyone will be cool. Great. All right. Thank you, Suzanne. Take care. Have a good one. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye. So, Stephen, the big question is, are you still scared of raccoons? Yes. <laughs> no, no, uh, no nuance to that. That is a hard Look, yes. To be clear, I support raccoons, and I believe that they have the right to live alongside us in our aforementioned urban environments. Right? I fully admit that. I'm just still a little spooked by them. They got the, I, there's a house right down the street, Brandon. Okay, there's a house right down the street uh-huh. that has a freaking all the, a bunch of overgrown trees lining this wall and there's a whole family of raccoons that live in the tree in the hollows of the tree i've seen them all probably starting a small business kind of like those decals on the back of the big trucks where it's the parent and then like the tiny little kids that's what this i've seen that walking scurrying into this tree home okay I don't know that things are going to get easier for you when raccoons are riding around on electric bicycles, you know, or you're walking along and they're checking their iPhone Mm. when they're doing videos for the gram. Yeah. When they are up in our urban space even more. And presumably, Stephen, as far as I know, taking our jobs. If I could talk to the raccoon, would I be afraid of it? No. You know, you're afraid of what you don't understand. If I could just sit down, have a little rap session with this raccoon, maybe sit down on the chair, flip it around backwards put my mm-hmm. arms up on the backrest and just sort of rap with the guy and he could do the same i'm sure we would get along just fine yeah that's right you'll meet them at their level mm-hmm. or at your level or you'll meet them meet. on common ground we'll, we'll meet on common ground that's actually a very optimistic vision of the future so nothing wrong with that well wait you know i have to know something because it almost sounded like you brandon think that raccoons are ai generated Oh, well, 
Yeah, as far as I know, they are. I mean, I don't remember ever seeing a raccoon before the internet was a thing. So mm, you never saw yeah. a raccoon in semi-rural Texas. I just said I don't really remember seeing one. Nice. It's possible that I could have, but you know, you have to examine your bias wherever it comes along. So. Yeah. It's possible that absolutely all of those server farms out in the middle of the Nevada desert Mm -hmm. all cranking away, so much of that power that we're extracting from the world is being used to generate raccoons, as far as I know. As far as you know. You're just, hey, and also, hey, we can ask questions. We can ask questions. That's (laughs) why we're here. Maybe you thought that armadillos were just raccoons wearing little hats. I thought armadillos were raccoons that were also medieval reenactors. But in fact, it's a whole other species. An armadillo is a lot like the product of like a mid-journey prompt, isn't it? Mm. Like, draw me a raccoon, leathery skin wearing a funky little hat, a hard hat. Draw me a raccoon that looks like a construction worker in 1970s New York. Nice. Hollering at a woman walking by. Oh, interesting. Because I saw him sitting on a steel beam high above Mm -hmm. the city with a lunch pail. That's more, uh, yeah. And a bottle of Coke. Yeah, that's classic. That's classic behavior. Yeah. Stephen, this has been Journos, <laughs> for sure. Uh, I'm Brandon R. Reynolds, an entirely organic and not computer-generated human being. And I am Stephen Jackson, coming at you via a series of software programs and a whole bunch of audio equipment. I guess I guess we are somewhat computer-generated. Okay. Uh, what are you going to do? Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Journos is produced by me, Brandon R. Reynolds. I also help to 